Hey there, Brian Dickman here with you for another episode of the Fear the Phoenix podcast. Seems like everybody in Green Bay is talking about who is staying and who is going, and we'll be doing the same, except we're not talking about Zadarius Smith, Rasul Douglas, Devontae Adams, any other uh, of the Packers free agency situation. Uh, Of course, we're talking about UW-Green Bay Phoenix men's basketball. And uh, unfortunately, we're also not talking about brackets either, as it's a season wrap-up edition of the Fear the Phoenix podcast. I got my guy Jim Cerro here with me as always. Jim, how are you doing today? Very good. Ready to talk some Phoenix hoops as always. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's dive right into it. You know, one of my favorite times of the year, March Madness. Uh, unfortunately, our Phoenix, nowhere near March Madness, but uh, I am. I'm looking forward to, to being at the games in Milwaukee on, on Friday and Sunday. So a uh, pretty good slate of games, actually, at Fi Servos. Uh, pleasantly surprised to see... You know, a 6-11 and a 3-14 matchups, I think, are the ones that got slated there. So that's always fun instead of like a 1-16 or a, you know, a 2-15, that, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I'll be there. I'll be repping the Horizon League. If you've ever seen the uh, the meme of Rob Lowe wearing like a, just like an NFL hat, <laughs> I think, a couple of years ago at uh, at the NFC Championship game, that'll be me on, on Friday. I'll just be the guy wrecking the, uh, the horizon league long sleeve t-shirt. But, um, so, you know, like I said, unfortunately green Bay, not going to be there. Jim, actually the last time we, we recorded was, uh, after the non-conference portion of the schedule. Since then the team picked up a few more wins, but, um, you know, things didn't exactly get much better from the last time we talked. Yeah, it was a rough uh, finish down the stretch of the season. I mean, they got one win out of the last, what, 10 or 11 games, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely not the season that I had hoped for, not the season that, um, you know, I that fans ever want to experience. I know that as it turned out, it, you know, the the naysayers uh, around the country, all the, the, the pundits that have preseason predictions, and even the more informed people around the Horizon League ended up uh, being more right than I wanted to admit. So that was frustrating. Same. Yeah. We're, we're not going to talk about our, uh, <laughs> the picks that we made that we're just going to, you know, brush that under the rug and forget that ever happened. But, uh, you know, as far as digging into kind of, you know, the season itself, I'm a little hesitant to really even reflect on it too much. Uh, Jim, I know you're a big bucks fan. So that this kind of, you know, brings me back to the Herb Cole era when, it was, you know, more fun to talk about off-season transactions, the draft, trade deadline, 
off the court front office stuff instead of actually talking about the the on court product. Um, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at with this team right now. But I guess you know, let's kind of dig into to what happened on the court this season. They, they finished five and twenty five overall, four and sixteen in the Horizon League, number three hundred forty three in the net rankings out of three hundred fifty eight Division one teams. You know, by a lot of metrics, probably the worst season in the history of the program going back, you know, 40, 50 plus years. So, and it honestly, it really felt like it watching the games, even it was, you know, you knew you were witnessing something that was not good. But uh, Jim, you've seen more seasons of basketball, of Green Bay basketball than I have. Do you think that's a fair assessment to say worst season they've ever had? Yeah, I mean, it was. It was definitely um, probably the worst or second worst in terms of results um, in the time that I've been a fan, which goes back to my freshman year in 1995. Um, I think there was a season or two at the tail end of the Mike Heidemann era that were really tough to take in because that was so close to the prominence and the you know uh, glory days, so to speak, of the program. And then you know you have a single-digit win season in there. Uh, that wasn't very good. But, yeah, this one was tough to take. But by the same token, when you look at the team, uh, you know, I think of two big things. Like, number one, teams led by freshmen. And the old saying in college basketball is you want to get old and stay old. And uh, we uh, got young and are getting older. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's – you you have to just – in a season like this, it's not about the results necessarily. It's about the laying of the foundation and saying, look, we have, you know – in the in the Bucks analogy, we have young Giannis, and we need to get young Giannis to MVP Giannis, and that's what the that's what the Phoenix are working on with their young guys, you know, trying to get them to the point where they're not just all freshman league players, but all league players, and uh, I think they're going to get there. But you know, that's one part of it, and then the other part of it, and it's not to say that uh, this player in particular was the difference, but you know, by my count, and I could be wrong on this, so you're usually the math guy on the pod. Um, the team only won one game after Ivory uh, left the team, and uh, you know, in Horizon League play, they were three and three with him, and one and seventeen without him. And I'm not saying it's all Donovan Ivory, but it's the idea that they didn't really have another guy that had, you know, the ability to break down the offense or hit a jumper. Um, you know, they just didn't have enough guard play once he was off the team. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a rough season, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know, it seemed like after he left the program or he was dismissed from the program, I guess, but either way, as soon as he was out of the equation, um, you know, they didn't even really have too many close losses the rest of the way. It was just kind of every game seemed to follow a similar script where they're they're hanging around in the first half or they even have a halftime lead. And then they kind of give up a big run in the second half and end up losing the game pretty decisively. Um, You know, at the beginning of the year, they were, I think, back to that Florida tournament where they were in games and losing in, like, the most frustrating way possible. But, you know, towards the end of the season, they weren't even really hanging around in games towards the end. Um, you know, part of the reason, like you said, Donovan Ivory was gone. You know, they are just playing shorthanded all around, too. I mean, they, they lost Donovan Moore and Blayton Williams at the, the end of the uh, first semester. You had uh, Mitch Listow battling a foot injury pretty much the entire season. Uh, Tutu Majak was in health and safety protocols for a good chunk there. So, I mean, that that's a lot of guys not 
really available to play in games. They couldn't even practice five on five for a while. So it just seemed like they kind of ran out of gas, especially in the second half of a lot of those games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's probably only three games where they were, you know, had a, a chance that, you know, that aside from the IUPUI game that they won at the end, uh, the USC game right before that, you know, they came from double digits down to, you know, have a chance lost by four. The home game at Cleveland State, uh, they lost by 12, but they were in that game uh, and gave Cleveland State a, a pretty good ball game overall. And they did lose a close one at um, Robert Morris. Yeah. Like, yep. Kind of gave that one away at the end. So. Uh, but yeah, just a, a season where they didn't have enough pieces and didn't have enough t- you know practice to put all those pieces together. And uh, at times things looked really rough. I mean, and that's reflected in the metrics. The defense wasn't rated very high. The offense wasn't rated very high. Um, you know, there just wasn't a lot of uh, positive to take from from the results on the court. Yeah, but, and you mentioned a lot of you know freshmen a lot of younger players getting playing time and obviously that played a role in not winning a whole lot of games um i, I think back to that right state game at the rush center which by the way the first time green bay has lost when you and i are at a game together but uh yeah. i think i think back to that game and you know the way the upperclassmen like Basili and calvin and holden and, and finky they, they just kind of took over that game in the second half um, and after that game, Will Ryan had this to say in his post-game press conference. You look down at the other teams and, you know, there's, there's grown men, like old guys. And you know that your guys are going to eventually get there. And, you know, the, the weight room is going to pay dividends for us. And you just try not to get discouraged. Like I said, they... A lot of these teams we're playing in our league are, are old and uh, they're seasoned veterans, and we're just, you know, we're we're in that that infant stage uh, in in building this thing. So, yeah, you know, just try to take the the good with the bad and and improve upon the things we can. So, Jim, I've seen quite a few people, including myself. Um, mentioned the Ken Palm stat that Green Bay is the second or third most inexperienced team in the country. And obviously I think that's a little bit flawed because if you look at Green Bay's roster, they're still counting guys like um, Japan Kellogg and Lucas Steber as freshmen. So that's, that's kind of messing with that Ken Palm stat a little bit, but the point remains that this was a team that was kind of drinking from a fire hose really this season, um, you know, trying to make adjustments against these bigger, faster, older teams. Yeah, and you know that it, I agree with you. That stat is a little misleading, but the the other way to look at that too is there's probably, you know, when you think of uh, Lucas, you think of uh, Ryan Claflin, uh, Jem Kirchman, you're you know talking about guys that um, you know maybe have a little bit more of a hill to climb as freshmen because they weren't coming in as uh, scholarship freshmen or highly recruited freshmen. They've turned out to make meaningful contributions at times, so that's been awesome but the hill for them to climb is even a little bit higher. So I kind of, on one hand, I think the stats misleading. On the other hand, it wasn't like, you know, we had a team of eight Kamaris and Cades, you know, as freshmen. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, And just the last thing I jotted down here, really, uh, it it, it sucks to say it, but the team just kind of has a little bit of lack of talent. I mean, 
Um, they just didn't have enough guys that could make shots consistently. 346th out of 358 Division One teams in three-point field goal percentage. I mean, it's not like they weren't getting good looks, too, because it seems like the team, they generated a, a decent amount of open looks. They just couldn't knock them down. So, um, you know, yeah, that was an issue. Not really enough guys that can create their own shot or get to the rim. And then at the other side of the ball, you kind of mentioned it, but, you know, there's definitely some defensive liabilities and breakdowns on when to help on defense. I think they did get a little bit better on defense as the year went on, but, um, you know, just not really a whole lot of, uh, I should say there's some glaring weaknesses as far as, uh, you know, talent goes. Yep. And, you know, the, the great thing about that, though, is um, at the Horizon League level or any level of college basketball, hard work, time, you know, they'll say keep grinding the axe. Like, it can, you know, catch up. Like, when you look at a team like Cleveland State, um, you know, that team is comprised of a lot of people. Now, Des Moines Hodge would be an exception to that. Uh, but some of those other guys are guys that people are like, who are these people? You know, <laughs> yep. And they just, you know, they're a little more experienced when they came in. They had some junior college players like O'Million who, you know, had two or three years left to play. But they, you know, they put together a team that didn't look too talented two years ago and have won the conference, you know, or, or tied for the conference championship two years in a row. So um, it it just takes staying with it and it takes, you know, keep working through it and, and don't giving up uh, even when, it looks like, um, you know, like your chips are way down. So, yeah, I think that's enough uh, recapping, you know, as far as what happened on the court. I think it's time to look ahead now. We're officially into the off season, and uh, you know, for me, even with the program arguably at its lowest point that it's ever been, I mean, I, I do think there are some things to be excited about. You you kind of mentioned it at the top, but a lot of young players on this team and promising young players at that. But um, I will say the coaching staff seems to have a plan and they're sticking to it, trying to build around more traditional high school recruits, it seems like. Uh, pretty highly regarded recruits at that. Um, and uh, kind of supplementing that with JUCO transfers, maybe a, a guy or two in the transfer portal. Yeah, the goal that I had all along was to, to get majority young kids and develop them and uh so that sophomore junior senior you like you see those those strides every year and those improvements uh the you know recruiting college recruiting the, uh, the landscape has changed and everybody wants to get old and stay old so you know hopefully we're a lot, we 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 keep these pieces you know these young guys together and and they continue to grow and that's the great thing about being a freshman you and then you become a sophomore and you become a junior and uh, you've you've gone through the battles and the wars and then you're battle tested so that you can hang with teams like this and eventually prevail that was will ryan after the cleveland state game at the crest center um you know but one of the things we learned from this season Green Bay does have some players to build around and be excited about. I, I don't think we're looking at a, an IUPUI type uh, complete roster overhaul. And honestly think Green Bay's roster situation is going to be better than UWM's, for example, since they're going through a coaching change right now. So 
Um, you know, Green Bay has a ways to go to get to that upper echelon of the Horizon League, but I do think there are some some promising pieces, especially all freshman players like you mentioned, Kamari McGee and Cade Meyer. Uh, we we knew based on film and and getting to know them as best we could that they were going to be they were going to be special, uh, and to to show it to show this early kind of what they can do and 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 how high their ceilings are. Uh, I'm glad they're on our team. And like I said, you know, those are guys you can build around. And then you throw in a guy like uh, Braden Daly, who's redshirting, who's part of that, that class, that recruiting class. Braden's going to help us, you know, going forward as well with his ability to stretch the floor and high basketball IQ, rebound. He's long. He's a, he's a good athlete. Uh, but yeah, you know, we, we got to get a few more pieces to, to go along with these guys, but you know, that, that core there along with uh, you know, some of the other younger guys that we have, we're, we're, we're limited in certain areas, but, uh, but those guys are, are huge uh, bright spots and uh, yeah, the future definitely is bright. Yeah. You know, that's the thing is you look at this team, you got two really good pieces in place. And that's out of the first high school recruiting class that Will Ryan was part of. Then you have uh, a guy like Braden Daly, who sat out the season, but by all accounts is going to be an impact player um, when he gets on the court in November. And you bring in a guy like Donovan uh, Short, who, you know, there's a, a big opportunity for him to come in and play uh, meaningful minutes. And he has an inside out skill set. He's, uh, you know, very big. He's going to make a difference in on the court and that's four really good young pieces to build around. And then you just, you know, fill that out, you know, from there and say, okay, well, only thing in the young category you're missing is a shooting guard and um, you know, maybe a couple more experienced guys to kind of, you know, help win some more games and bring those guys along. Um, but yeah, you, you've got the, got the pieces in place. You've got four really good ones. They just keep them together and keep working. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, now it's about filling some of those open spots with with pieces that can complement those guys and uh, some of the the other guys that are coming back. Uh, you know, kind of turning the page a little bit here, Jim. News usually breaks the second after we finish recording, so uh, to the, to everyone listening, sorry, you know everything might be outdated by the time you're listening to this, but so far this offseason, Japan Kellogg has been the only Green Bay player to officially put his name in the transfer portal. Uh, kind of bummed about this one i really like japan uh, i mean i i get it you know the style of play it wasn't exactly a a fit for him but um jim i thought he could have provided some really nice bench depth behind meyer and short next season on a team that's probably gonna need some size well hold on let me refresh verbal commits to make sure that's where not up. <laughs> right yeah i got my eye on twitter while we're recording here <laughs> um you know japan leaving i think is definitely a tough break for the, for the team, you know, in terms of what his style is, I'm, I'm not sure what he thinks is a better style. That was kind of the quote in the paper, but you know, when I looked at him uh, playing, he, he definitely had gotten a lot better in the post over his two seasons. I mean, he could finish over either shoulder in the post. Um, he was definitely a little more explosive. Like there was a play at the end of that, I think it was the Robert Morris game where he might've made a uh, kind of a tough turnover, but I think he also back and blocked the shot. That would have been an easy layup. If I, I'm thinking the sequence of events, yeah, right. There was like 10 seconds left when that happened too. It was like game saving block at the time. <laughs> yeah. He, like, he exploded out of his shoes on that one. Like it was great to see him. He had a couple, you know, explosive uh, plays at the hoop against Cleveland state. 
So you you know you could see some things really coming together. Uh, by the same token, like you know, there's a guy that uh, if you got to the free throw line, that wasn't good this year in particular. It felt like it got worse this year. It's like maybe 50% shooter, um, and it, you know didn't really have a lot of range on his jump shot. He he knocked a couple down for sure, but it wasn't like he was you know looking to pop from 15 to 20 feet away. And when I think of like the you know heyday classic you know badgers offense under bo ryan they had big guys that could shoot and he, he wasn't really doing that um one thing i think that you know i kind of noticed uh, down the stretch here like his when he was hurt now granted he was hurt but the last like six or seven games coming off the bench uh his stats didn't look that great so you know perhaps uh he didn't have much of an interest in potentially being a role player off the bench playing either forward position so um, you know, that's the case if he wasn't going to be engaged in, and I'm not saying he w- was or wasn't, but it just seemed like his stats didn't, like he didn't really, you know, bring a lot statistically in those games where he came off the bench. So that was kind of a red flag for if that's what his role would be in the future. Maybe it is a better fit for him to find a place where he could start in Green Bay to find somebody who better fits coming off the uh, bench as that third big man. Yeah. And I didn't see him post a highlight video, so it was weird to to see a player in today's game go into the transfer portal without posting a highlight video on Twitter. <laughs> but uh, so another one of Link Darner's recruits leaves the program, but best of luck to Japan. Uh, he seems pretty likely to end up at another Division One program, which hasn't always been the case with a lot of the recent players that have left the program. But uh, best of luck to him. Yeah, two years to play, instant eligibility, and uh, or three years to play, excuse me, because he was a freshman, uh, third-year freshman. Uh, instant eligibility and a guy who averaged, what, seven and four, something like that. So, um, or six and four, somewhere in that range. Yeah, almost seven and four. Uh, yeah, I, I think for sure there's somebody in the Division One era uh, landscape will pick him up. That's what I think. Yep. So some other roster news uh, in the past couple days. Garen Davis announced his commitment to the program. 6'4 guard from the Dallas area committed to the Phoenix this past Friday after taking an official visit to Green Bay last week. He averaged more than 17 points per game this past season as a sophomore at the JUCO level for Clarendon College in Texas. He made about 38% of his three-point attempts, which obviously is noteworthy with uh, how awful the Phoenix were from behind the arc this season. Uh, He chose Green Bay over scholarship offers from Southern Mississippi, Louisiana, Monroe, and Manhattan, according to verbal commits. And uh, he previously played for Green Bay assistant coach Freddie Owens at Loyola, Maryland, which hopefully will help him adjust fairly quickly to his new team. But uh, just any thoughts on Garen Davis, Jim, and what you've seen of his tape? Yeah, yeah, a couple things right off the bat. So first, uh, the article in the Green Bay Press Gazette had some really nice quotes from him. And, you know, talking about really being focused on winning, being focused on, um, you know, growing, leading the team to winning. Um, That is something that, you know, I think the team really needs. In addition to having a guy who can make three pointers in the starting five, they need somebody who, you know, just like dying to win basketball games and has that bravado and that swagger and you know the way he was talking uh, i believe he said he was a dog you know which you know usually is for the guys who just you know are just fighting and clawing every second of the game and i tucker I, <laughs> we need some we need some dogs <laughs> yeah we need some dogs but I, I, that that i well, that's one thing that stands out to me something else along the same lines you know uh, his size at uh was he six four two hundred i think He's um, yep, right around there. Yep. Right around there. That's a 
that's a Cleveland state size guard. You know, this, that's not a six, two guy or six, one guy, you know, six, one hundred and seventy pounds or something like that. This is somebody's not going to get pushed around. This is somebody's not going to get, it's not going to be easy to shoot over him. Uh, you know, there's, he's pretty good. And, you know, you think of like on the team, Nate Jenkins was, you know, graded out as one of the better defensive players. Well, he, cause he's hard to get around. He's a big, thick kid and, and he can move his feet a little bit. And, uh, you know, Garen kind of has that same size. So I think that that's a good thing that, you know, you're going to have a guy who can kind of use his body on both sides of the court. And when I watched his highlight video from Clarendon, um, I mean, he, he scored in a lot of ways. Like he had a little bit of that, uh, uh, that was missing when Ivory left the team, like a guy who could put the ball on the floor and, and pull up and hit a shot, you know, a guy who can create his own basket a little bit, not necessarily, you know, like I've talked about this before on the podcast, like you don't need guys doing a James Harden two steps backwards, launching a three, but the guy who do a, you know, one dribble pull up or two dribbles to the free throw line and pull up or take their man to the hoop. Uh, we really didn't have any of that. Like, you know, we had a couple guys out there this year who didn't really shoot any free throws because uh, they weren't going attacking the rim. And um, Garen seems like he's going to be able to do a little of that. So I, I'm pretty pleased, you know, given the state of the program and I'm sure, you know, guys who have less eligibility are looking for opportunities where they think they can win right away. I think this is a pretty good fit uh, for what the team needs. So I think it's a good, uh, a good commitment. I'm very happy that Garen's going to be joining the program. Yeah. And, and looking at his highlight tape, um, he's all of six, four. I mean, sometimes you see some schools, you know, fudge the numbers a little bit, <laughs> give, give guys an extra couple inches, but uh, he actually looks six, four. So that's good. Um, he takes, he averaged eight, three point attempts per game and he knocked down 38%. So that's, that's reassuring to, to knock down that percentage with that kind of volume. Um, so that, that seems like it'll be, uh, you know, check a box of a need that the team has, um, you know, you know Brian shooting his muscle memory and that's a lot of muscle memory. Age shots. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I could say this, uh, you know, in my basketball career, when you got in and you had one shot and, you know, you only make one third of them, you might go three games without making one. <laughs> but Garen is not going to go three games without making a shot. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, overall, it seems like the staff really placed an emphasis on getting a big junior college guard because they actually extended scholarship offers to three guys that all pretty much fit that same mold of a, a big experienced guard that can shoot threes somewhat consistently. You know, we're searching high and low for some kids that, that can help fill, fill a void. And, um, you know, we're looking at older, uh, bigger, faster, stronger type guys, uh, whether that, whether that be the transfer route or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, we keep all of our options open and, uh, we just, just keep building brick by brick. That was Will Ryan again after the Cleveland state game last month, but, uh, you know, he mentioned brick by brick, which I thought was kind of funny because the team put up a whole lot of bricks this season. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the other two that they extended a scholarship offer to is Chris Breddy, a 6'5 junior college guard from New Mexico Military Academy. That is a Wisconsin native. He actually played his high school ball at Waukesha West, and uh, he took his official campus visit at the end of February. They also recently offered six foot six inch Kyam Cleary from Florida Southwest Junior College, but 
Uh, Jim, it'll be interesting to see if they still pursue these two or if Garen Davis kind of checks the box there for, for what they're looking for. Yeah, I think a lot of it is, you know, how many more guys are coming back? They have 11 guys on the roster. You have uh, Donovan Short coming in, you know, to make in 12. Uh, then Davis will be 13. But if you've got, you know, one, two, three, four more guys leaving, then it's, you know, they might need some more uh, depth here for next season. Yeah, so so let's kind of talk about that. Uh, on uh, on Sunday, Dylan Graff, who covers the team for Horizon, for the Horizon Roundtable, uh, horizonroundtable.com, he had a tweet um, on Sunday kind of summarizing who is staying and who's still up in the air. You know, first of all, I, I really hate that this is what the transfer portal era has created. Uh, you know, not knocking on Dylan here because someone at Fox 11 a few weeks back basically asked Kate Meyer the same thing during an interview, like, will you be back next season? So uh, it's just crappy that when a mid-major guy has a, a really good season, that that's something that's always going to kind of be lingering out there. But anyway, I digress. Um, according to Dylan Graff, Kamari McGee, Cade Meyer, Braden Daly, Manny Ansong, Nate Jenkins, Ryan Claflin, and Randy Tucker are all expected to return next season. So that would put the Phoenix at nine guys when you include Donovan Short and Garen Davis. That would mean that, uh, according to Mr. Graff at least, Tutu Majak, Jem Kerchiman, Lucas Stieber, and Mitch Listow's futures are potentially up in the air. Um, you know, I haven't been able to confirm that and haven't obviously haven't seen anything from the team or, or Scott Vensey confirming that, but Still worth discussing, I think, Jim, since it's something that obviously would create a few more holes, but a potential opportunity to improve the roster. So it's kind of curious to get your thoughts on that list from from Dylan. Yeah, well, you know, on the side that he had posted with the seven guys who are staying, I, you know, I definitely think those are some of the guys for sure that you look at and say, I'm glad we're able to hold on to those guys. Obviously, Cade and Kamari, uh, Braden, those are, you know, foundational pieces, you know, when we talk about building brick by brick, those are the first three bricks. <laughs> so you can't <laughs> right. <Yep>. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but when you look at that, that's, you know, that's, those are the guys you want to keep real quick notes on, on each of those guys. Like, obviously we know all the things they do. Well, one of the things I'm going to be watching, like for Kamari, as an example, I thought he got his pocket picked a little bit um, this season. So I really want to see him tighten up that ball uh, handling, like he can get to the rim and he can make passes, but, uh, there were guys like I think Mike DePersia ripped him a couple times in the last game. Like <laughs> that should never happen. Come on now. But I'm not saying that's a rip on Kamari. I love Kamari's game. I, you know, I, in the preseason podcast, I was all about him and I'm still all about him. But just kind of making notes of like what I see from guys and where I want to see him go. Tighten up that ball handling for Kamari. You know, Cade, I love that power game he has. You know, like there's not very many big guys that can put the ball on the deck and spin to the hoop and get a bucket like that guy can. Yeah. Like he's a stud. He was just a stud, and you know he ended up averaging uh, nine and four point four. And I think your boy here said he'd at least be eight and five. So I feel somewhat vindicated that. <laughs> yep, you got one right. <laughs> yeah, I got something right. I got a lot wrong. Oh boy, did I get a lot wrong, but I got one right. <laughs> and uh, you know, Braden is at that length, six seven, to shoot like he can. Uh, people are you know are saying that he might be the best shooter on the team. I think that's gonna be great. But I look at some of the other guys, like the other four guys, and then obviously Manny, uh, you know, Manny is kind of like whether he, uh, you know, knows it or not or wants to be or not, he was kind of the face of the program coming into it. Uh, you know, he brings a lot to the table. 
Manny is, um, you know, he can do a lot of things. He's super athletic. The thing with Manny that I want to see is just like consistency and intensity. Like when you can get to the rim, like that guy can, I just want to see him at the rim all the time and just playing, you know, like, cause he's coach Ryan had said he was kind of a, a quiet guy. He's quiet on the court too, but just playing with that killer instinct would just take his game from as already really good to really you know unstoppable but the other three guys i want to just talk about real quickly like nate jenkins uh i thought he had a fantastic finish to the season uh i had said to you privately i thought at the time he was the best shooter that was going to play this season and that kind of bore out in the stats like he ended up being uh the best three-point shooter on the team at 36 percent actually jim kirchman's 36.4 but um you know, he took a lot of tough shots he had, you know, that behind the back dribble he used to kind of set up his get in the lane. Uh, it wasn't. Love that one. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. You know, it's just a really good effort in or a really good lesson in playing under control because he wasn't doing it a million miles an hour. He was under control. Like it was kind of slow, you know, and I don't mean it in a bad way. Like it was just very controlled and delivered, but he knew where he was going to go and he knew how to set guys up. Like you didn't need to have like total blow by ability to get into the paint and score and get a little floater off. So, and I thought he just played under control. Uh, another guy I'd like to see maybe improve on his turnovers a little bit, but I'm really happy he's coming back. Like um, being down by the court a few times too this year, he definitely has like a vocal leadership. At least I, that's what I kind of sensed. And I, I, on the court, he's very vocal. So I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, Ryan Claflin's another guy. I've, I've been very high on Ryan since he was in high school. And when I think of him as a freshman, he was seven of 31 on threes. That's 22.6%. And as a second year freshman or a COVID freshman, he was 22 of 68 on threes for 32.4%. Um, so it's a big improvement. But the thing that really stood out to me, I looked it up. And again, math guy, please uh, double check me on this. But in his last nine games, he was 13 of 28 from deep for 46.4%. And, you know, that's something that is really, like the team is missing, having somebody who could knock down a shot. And you know, all of a sudden, you know, a guy who only averaged two and a half points or 2.8 points a game was scoring seven or eight off the bench pretty consistently down the stretch. That's a big, big deal. Uh, the thing about Ryan though, he's, he only had 10 rebounds in those nine games down the stretch, which isn't, you know, for the position he plays, we need a little more out of him. And the thing that I really want to see him be able to do, uh, he took two free throws on the season. If I'm looking at the stats correctly, um, yep. And the last one he took was against superior which I believe was in November. So there's a case where, you know, we need to see him like, you know, ratchet up his intensity, you know, keep getting those back cuts or take guys off the dribble or whatever, get, you know, can't just be a guy shooting threes on the perimeter all the time. And then um, with Randy Tucker, like Randy had a tough season, obviously he only hit 20.5% of his threes and he took a lot of threes. I mean, he took 78 of his shots of his 130 something shots were from three. Um, so he didn't hit a lot of them. So it feels like they all came in that one game, the ones that he actually made. <laughs> yeah, he had a, I mean, he had a tough season. So 14 to yeah. 71, I'm seeing. Um, but 16 to 78 is what I'm seeing on, on one set of stats. But regardless, the big thing I look at with him is just knock him down. Like, you know, he, everybody says uh, he knocks him down in practice. So that's either an indication that everybody can score on the Phoenix defense or a matter <laughs> of, you know, him – really kind of like putting the focus to it and, and just burying the shot. Like, you know, trust it, you know, they'll saying finish high and say goodbye, you know, like just trust it's going in. And uh, there's another guy who played 518 minutes, I believe on the season. And uh, he took, 
14 free throws. If I have that right. Anyway, that's something that, you know, I'd like to see um, improved upon as well. Like getting more guys that with, he's pretty athletic, uh, get to the rim a little bit more. So, but overall, those would be some of the guys I'd want to keep. You know, if, if you said, Hey, we're not going to keep everybody. So you got to pick, those would be some of the guys I'd pick to keep for sure. Yeah. Uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with uh, with Tutu and Jem and and uh, Lucas Steber. Uh, it sounded like according to Dylan Graff that Mitch Listow is for sure not coming back. But um, again, we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um, so I mean, just assuming that that list is correct, Jim, what would your team needs be for for the off season? Is it as simple as you know best player available? Are you just looking for anyone who can shoot i mean is it pretty much wide open we need everything or are you kind of you know dialing in on on what team needs we have uh, you know i'm dialing in on uh, three different things my my biggest one that i see is you know a young so like a freshman or a guy who uh, is currently in d1 that maybe would transfer here with three more years to play uh, but like a shooting guard, you know, that is that you could put in with the the other grouping of the four foundational pieces that we have and say, look, here is our starting five. And I don't mean it to be like a marketing play, but here are our five guys that we're going to go to the NCAA tournament with in two years. So get, you know, get your list dream, forget about the, you know, wash out this bad taste or drink your mixed drink and get drunk and forget about this, whatever. But like these are the five guys that are going to make you forget about the 2021-22 season. So that's one thing I'm looking at is like getting that fifth piece so we have the, you know, truly can point to the future and say, this is what it is. Um, but beyond that, if uh, if Jem and Tutu are not sure they're going to return or, or choose not to return, uh, you need another big guy. Because, you know, a lot of the Green Bay rotations have, you know, you had uh, Kellogg and Meyer playing together a lot. And um, you're going to have Short and Meyer playing together, but you need another big guy. And then the other thing I'm not, you know, I'd be looking at is if Lucas decided not to come back for whatever reason, um, you'd need another ball handler. You only have Kamari. You need somebody that can handle the ball. I thought Nate was good in that role, but Nate's a really good shooter, too, so you can play him off the ball. Um, I just feel like you need another ball handler. So those are kind of the three things I'm looking at and saying need you know need a few more pieces of course if a total stud falls in your lap uh you don't say no to that but you know <laughs> build out your pieces those are the kind of three i have on my mind what do you think they need brian well we we didn't uh see each other's notes beforehand but i have pretty much the same thing my my number one is shooting 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 uh like you said definitely need a shooting guard i know we got garen davis but i, I would like to get you know at least another shooter or two um you know it, it does sound like you mentioned it earlier. Uh, Braden Daly is going to be able to provide some shooting. Uh, Donovan Short can step out and shoot it. So there is help on the way there. But, um, you know, I would like another guy or two just to be sure, because you can never have too much shooting. Um, I also set a backup point guard. Um, you know, definitely another big man as well. And then my last one is best player available, like you said. Um, you know, if... If another guy, you know, if they find a wing or, or a, you know, a post guy that's an absolute stud, of course, bring him on, and um, it's a good problem to have. So, those are my needs, pretty much the same as your needs. It sounds like it's a pretty obvious needs. So, 
Um, as far as potential targets, so the top available Division One prospects that are high school seniors in Wisconsin, according to Mark Miller, um, Lyric Davis, 6'7", wing from Milwaukee Bradley Tech. Sounds like Green Bay just started showing some interest in him, which is exciting because he's a guy with a lot of length, some explosive athleticism. You know, not the best shooter, but definitely a guy that can can get to the rim. Uh, have you seen any of his tape, Jim, at Lyric Davis? I feel like that's that's a guy where, you know, he would fall in that best player available category for me. Yeah, you know, the thing about uh, Lyric Davis is that um, he is super dynamic at attacking the hoop. I mean, he's the kind of guy that in a high school game would get a windmill dunk or between the legs dunk in the half court. Like, just like the hop. <laughs> You do that like he's that explosive <laughs> athlete. Uh, he is just absolutely shot out of a cannon when he is attacking the hoop. Like it's, uh, you know, I don't know what he does in a whole game because I've never seen a whole game. But those uh, highlight tapes he has on YouTube are really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it seems like his recruiting is kind of blowing up. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how involved Green Bay gets there. But um, think about another that. guy who would who would check a couple of boxes for both of us, uh, Jack Rose, 6'4 guard from West Tosha Central down in the Kenosha area. He fits that big guard mold, 6'4. Um, shot 40% from behind the arc this season. I think he would potentially, sounds like check your box, Jim, as a, a guy that can grow old with the rest of the pieces that we have. Yep, it, with Jack Rose is a really good example of a guy. There's a difference between a guy who's standing with his feet set, catching and shooting, and a guy who's coming off of, you know, action and then is catching and, you know, in, and having to shoot, you know, kind of like off the move or, you know, get his feet under him very quickly to get a shot off. Like, I think one of those uh, playoff games for the WIA tournament, he buried a three late from the corner and it was, you know, he came on a baseline screen turned, caught it, and shot it, and, uh, you know, it went right down the well. And I looked at that, and I thought, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, and then you know, the- we, we created in our offense a ton of, you know, and again, I'm not knocking Randy, because, uh, you know, he did a lot of nice things. He, he was pretty good not turning the ball over, a decent rebounder. Um, but, like, you know, there was a number of times where he was just standing there, wide open, feet set, nobody within 10 feet of him, and just couldn't get him to go and so having a guy that can kind of you know hit difficult shots is something i'm looking for yeah the last guy on uh that's still available on mark miller's top uh prospects list is stephen clay six five guard out of menominee falls another guy with length that can play out on the wing uh, he's playing second fiddle to his uh north carolina recruit teammate seth trimble but Still is able to average 19 points per game this season. He seems like a guy, Jim, that can just kind of score from anywhere on the court, which is obviously uh, not a bad thing. Yeah, another guy who's uh, pretty explosive. He's not nearly like Stephen Clay is, is athletic, and Lyric Davis makes Stephen Clay look like me. But uh, <laughs> not good on the basketball court. But I say that jokingly, of course. But you know, Stephen Clay is super athletic. He can finish above the rim. Um, you know, can drive, he can, I've seen him, you know, I have seen him play in person. He was really good when I've seen him play a kind of guy that can hit a three can hit some pull-up jumpers. Like just has a lot of tools at his length. And he's got like a seven foot wingspan. 
that guy's just a, you know, the kind of guy that like, remember Manny uh, in his first year, how he gets so many steals and just be always, you know, going the other way with them. Like Clay seems like that kind of guy, like ripping the ball on the perimeter and, and uh, going the other way with that long wingspan. Two things about Clay. One, Menominee Falls has already changed their nickname to the Phoenix. So come on, you're already a Phoenix. We just got to make it, you know, <laughs> make it official, right? Yeah. And um, the other thing about Clay and Rose, they're both playing in the state tournament. And to me, that's something I really, really appreciate. That's winning. <laughs> we need yeah. winners. As you know, know how to win, are used to winning. You know, they talked about, uh, Garen Davis talked about, um, you know, his conversations with Kamari McGee about winning, winning the horizon. Well, of course, Kamari wants to win. He's a state champion, for goodness sake. Like, you know, he wants to win. We need guys that, you know, that want that just absolute dying to win. So I really appreciate that about Clay and Rose. And I'm not saying the other guys don't have that die, dying to win too, but just the fact that they, these guys were on teams that were able to translate it is really impressive to me. Yeah, for sure. You you mentioned it. Uh, you can watch Jack Rose and West Tosha Central in the state tournament on Friday afternoon uh, around 3 o'clock. They're the second game of that window, so they don't have the exact time, but it should be around 3 o'clock uh, in the Division Two semifinals and then uh, Stephen Clay and Menominee Falls are playing Friday night around eight o'clock in the Division One semifinals. So uh, it will be interesting to see if if Green Bay gets involved with all or any of those guys, and and uh, you know maybe maybe bring one of those guys in. But uh, Jim, with college team season ending and coaches getting fired left and right, uh, I'm sure the transfer portal is going to be filling up in a hurry. So probably get some more interesting names out there to to see who green bay might target do you got do you have any other names off the top of your head other than the three we just talked about as a potential target at least as far as guys that are currently available you know not guys that aren't in the portal yet yeah well well hey never mind then <laughs> <laughs> no no like, collusion <laughs> yeah honestly, um i saw a guy from north dakota state entered the portal uh jerry's cook and he had a green bay offer when coach darner was here he's from st uh, the Twin Cities area. He's a shooting guard, uh, had good numbers, but wasn't like he was an eight point per game guy at North Dakota State. So I thought that was uh, somebody maybe to look at. And also in the portal with some Wisconsin time, maybe not even in the portal, but not available currently, or excuse me, not playing currently. Um, Greg Foster, um, you remember him? He was from Homestead a number yeah. of years ago. Then went to St. Joe's. He's not. Uh, playing, he left St. Joe's for whatever reason, so maybe he's a guy to look at. And obviously, James Graham is the big name of Wisconsin-based guys that are in the portal currently. So yeah. any of those guys would be um, potentially interesting to see. Um, and then hopefully, with the all the coaching changes, you know, and some of it might be trickle down. Like, you know, Kansas State is, um, you know. Just think of Wisconsin guys, just as an example, Bruce Weber was, uh, you know, terminated at Kansas State. And there's some talk that, um, that who's the Illinois coach? Um, he's a Kansas State alum. I can't think of his name right now. Brad Underwood. Yeah. Uh, Brad Underwood, he's, he's a Kansas State alum. Well, think of the impact that if that were to happen, if they were to get Brad Underwood, now you have two Wisconsin guys sitting in, maybe in the wrong programs. So you never know what could happen there. Like, And I'm not saying that's going to happen. Just that's the kind of stuff that unintended unintended consequences could make some really nice players available for green Bay. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, that's, that's the new normal. So, um, 
we'll be we'll be keeping an eye on the transfer portal for sure. I do every day. Yep. Yeah, verbal commits makes it pretty easy, which is nice. So real quick to wrap up here, Jim. Uh, Wright State taking on Bryant in an NCAA tournament play-in game Wednesday night to provide an exclamation point on what has been the worst showing ever by the Horizon League this season. Uh, league has never had a 16 seat before, as far as I could find, but uh, never been ranked this poorly in, in the metrics. Just really an all-around, just a complete embarrassment, really, for anyone who considers themselves a, a fan or a coach or administrator of of anybody in the Horizon League. So, I mean, just your thoughts on, on getting the, the play-in game for our conference tournament champion. Well, this is goes to the heart of something that I'm I will the hill I will die on. Non-conference scheduling. You have to do your work in the non-conference as a league. We have to have better metrics so that when our top teams, whichever one of them wins the Horizon League tournament, has enough of a resume. I mean, because you're talking about a team in Wright State that beat an ACC team in the non-conference in North Carolina State in the Grand. That's not the best win on, on the world, but like that's pretty good. And they're the 65th seeded team in this tournament because our overall league quality was so far down. So, you know, that is something that, you know, you couldn't fix it this year, but we got to fix it going forward. We got to schedule smarter as a league and start winning those games so that we can never have this happen again. This year, it's fine. You know, playing that game, hopefully they win. Hopefully we get the extra money. But I described it on Twitter as uh, you're, if you're on your way to the junkyard, you don't need to stop at the dump on the way there. And that's how I feel <laughs> about this. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, you mentioned extra money. So a right state win would be about, it would be worth about $2 million for the Horizon League over six years, which isn't exactly chump change. I mean, um, you know, depending on how they divide that up, it would it would probably be about twenty five grand per school for six years for the for every team in the league. So, I mean, you could you could almost buy a home game for that gym. <laughs> so. Not against anybody good, but yes, it, it good. <laughs> right. It would do something. That's for sure. Yeah. And you know, I. At the end of the day, I'm okay with it. Is this the idea, though, of like if this is what you aspire to be on an ongoing basis, then we're in, you know, then I'm a fan of a team in the wrong league or my team's in the wrong league because this is never where we want to be. Where we want to be as a league is sitting there looking at that 12 or 13, and we want people to be talking about us like they talk about maybe South Dakota State or you know some of the other teams that people think might have a chance to pull off an upset, and sitting here going. Great, we're gonna make an extra two million dollars so that we get to go play Arizona halfway around the country two days later. Like, no, that's that's not cool. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, we want to be making that two million dollars as a as a twelve seed <laughs> or uh, with a second with a second team in sixteen. You know, that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, it all goes back to like, um, you know, it even kind of ties into expansion, like. This is why you don't add garbage programs like IEPUI or you don't just add teams just to add teams because you're just dividing that money up even more. But anyway, that's that's a different tangent. So uh, you're dividing the money up even more and you're bringing in more teams with questionable metrics. Like, you know, this year for Green Bay was an outlier. 
is it going to be an outlier for IUPUI? That, you know, hopefully, but we don't know. But what I do know is that when you have five teams in the bottom three, you know, bottom 60 or whatever that the Horizon League had in some of the metrics, like, you know, that that's got to get fixed um, ASAP. And a lot of that is scheduling issues. A lot, I mean, they didn't win. Those teams weren't winning, but a lot of them were playing. They couldn't win. <laughs> Green Bay played three games they couldn't win out of eight non-conference games. Of course, their metrics sucked. Yep. Yeah, we could, we could, we're gonna do a podcast on that this summer because it sounded like the uh, the Horizon League commissioner is in your is in your corner on this. So maybe we could even get her on the line and and talk it out. But uh, anyway, every Horizon League fan has about two million reasons to cheer for Wright State on Wednesday night, and even then again on Friday. So hey, you know what? If there's if you don't like the money and you don't like Wright State, Bryant, who they're playing, has like the biggest a-hole on the planet on their team. I don't know, <laughs> guy Luke uh, Peter Kiss, I think is his name. Yep, yep, you're uh, right. Yeah, and now, granted, I like guys with moxie, so I don't really, you know, a-hole's probably strong, but uh, uh, you know, he's the guy that, you know, he he's just running his mouth and uh, you know talking to anybody and everybody and. You know, apparently he's a really great kid off the court, but on the court he just goes into like a, a dark place where some of the other coaches around the um, NEC or you know think that he's you know a bush league uh, type guy. But NCAA tournament standalone game on national TV, you know that guy's gonna be pushing your buttons if you're wanting the right state to win. So uh, something yeah. to pay attention to. Yep, the right state gets the game right in their backyard in Dayton, so we'll we'll see how the uh... Maybe they'll have a little bit of home court advantage there, but um, no yeah, way. Flyer we'll fans are going to boo them out of that. Arena. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to watch Wednesday. But uh, that was a lot of ground to cover tonight, Jim. But it was good to be back podcasting. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Yeah, I got uh, one message. Uh, I got one message to share with everybody, and then three shout-outs, if you don't mind. So go for it. I'll, I'll go quick. Biggest thing I look at right now, the state of the program is different than the results of the season. You know, you look at the state of the program, we've got four, you know, really solid young pieces. We've got a coach that these guys seem to want to play for. We've got an engaged chancellor that's there at every game that wants us to be successful. We've got an energized athletic director. We've got really good facilities. This is not where we're going to be. I just, I can't say that enough. This is not where we're going to be. We are on the rise. This program is coming back. Fans, I want you to, you know, I want to feel that same passion. I want you to feel the same passion I do, but I know you guys see some wins to feel it. But just, I really firmly believe that this year is going to be the outlier year that we look back at and laugh and say, remember that year we almost gave up basketball? (laughs) (laughs) But there's a lot for the state of the program. The season and, you know, what happened, I can't speak, you know, I can't say, and I can't like sugarcoat that, but what we have as a program and the pieces we have in place are a lot stronger than people want to believe. And then I got quick uh, three shout outs. Number one, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, women's hoops hosting a Big Ten team. I'm not a women's hoops guy. I don't know much about it, but I know this. Uh, they've been awesome for a long time and beating Minnesota would be another way to keep showing how awesome they are as a program. Another shout out uh, next month in April. The single biggest uh, fundraiser for the Phoenix Athletics, the stake prize happening. 
corporate tables are available. Individual tickets are available. Fear the Phoenix, we're going to get a table. Come on, people, send me some messages or send Brian some messages. Let's get a little group of people together. Let's talk Phoenix hoops, drink some beer, meet some people, talk, you know, talk, talk about what's going on, what needs to happen. Uh, but that's next month. And then the last thing, also at the state uh, tournament, Jeremy Lawrence and the uh, brilliant basketball team are at the state tournament. Uh, that's just a guy I know that Green Bay has an offer out to, according to verbal commits. And so it's good to see them recruiting our, another kid who's a winner. So those are my shout outs. Anything for you, Brian? No, that, that was good. As uh, Phoenix Rising said on Twitter the other day, buy stock now. I like it. I'm, I'm ready to go. But I mean, uh, less stocks at this point, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, buy low, right? Now's the time to get in. Exactly. All right. Well, it was good to talk to you again, Jim. All it took was someone uh, calling us out on the message board. So thank you, Double J, for the friendly nudge to get, a, to get us to get our act together. But uh, like I mentioned before, usually when we podcast, something major happens shortly after. So I uh, apologize if a lot of this stuff is obsolete by the time you're listening, but we really do appreciate all of you listening and uh, we appreciate your feedback as well. So make sure you're following Fear the Phoenix on Twitter. Go ahead and follow uh, at Jim Saro on Twitter as well. And follow me at Brian Dickman if you'd like. Uh, should be an exciting next month or so as March Madness getting into full swing and transfer portal madness taking place as well. But uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks again for listening. 